Thanks for tuning in again. My guest this week is Brendan Lyons from the Barossa Council, Manager of Assets. A lot of people would probably know Brendan from around the traps and not surprisingly one of his first graduate advice is his uh, network which probably fits with his uh, whole personality. Fortunately he wasn't able to get the most time with Brendan. We both had meeting on after so this one's a bit of a shorter one but I reckon there's definitely a lot of stories that are not safe for work and will make another podcast in itself so it's a bit of a shorter one. There'll definitely be a part two so yeah have a have a listen, tune in, hear all about splitting your pants at work, getting harassed by horses, and almost getting kidnapped in the Middle East. Enjoy. Brendan, what's your best elevator pitch, 30 seconds or less, for what your job entails now? Uh, my job now is a lot more finance-orientated. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm dealing more with the finance team than ever before uh, effectively I'm the conduit between the engineering team and the finance team however uh, and that's ha- that is how it has been in the past however uh, at the Barossa Council it seems to be more uh, focused on the financial component yeah. um, uh, coming up with um, ways to reduce depreciation um, effective effectively completing the capitalisation process and um, making sure everything balances with uh, the the books at the end of the year. Okay, so you're directly the kind of asset manager, responsible for all the asset management of Barossa? I am, yes. Uh, Do you have any staff? I, I have... Um, I have a guy called Neil, who's the yeah. build, buildings yep. uh, facilities guy, uh, and uh, Bronwyn, who's an administrative assistant. Yeah, and was that a similar job? So you came from Campbelltown. That's Did you right. have any stops in between? Straight from Campbelltown? Straight from Campbelltown. Yeah. yeah, and that's where you were doing a similar role there? I was doing a similar role. It was, a, a, it was the coordinator of asset management mm-hmm. um, at uh, Campbelltown and uh, had a GIS officer reporting to me there. So we effectively, our role there had nothing to do with finance whatsoever, really. Yeah. It was about um, data acquisition, data validation, and uh, making sure that the information that was in the asset system was as accurate as possible. So was the position you took at Barossa, was it because they've recognised the need for the link with finance and engineering or is that that's something you've driven that was something that was pre-existing my predecessor was a rare breed he was a, a qualified um, civil engineer and also an accountant so he his position originally was in finance yeah. and then he got poached by the then director to move over to the engineering team um, and uh, and look after the engineering finance side of things so the that's sort of the role that I inherited it has um, evolved somewhat uh, since I've taken over the reins but um, yeah it's it's a lot more in depth than any asset management related work that I've ever done before do you think Barossa's typical for a lot of the rural councils and where they sit with asset management I don't think so. I think we're quite advanced in yeah. comparison. Some of our neighbouring councils have got... They don't even have a resource. Yeah, okay. um, and there's discussions about resource sharing 
with the Barossa Council. Other um, uh, neighbouring councils do have uh, a number of resources and, and more than the Barossa does. However, I, th- I think that the base that uh, the Barossa is coming from is a lot higher. Uh, we've got some really good quality data, some good quality asset management plans and and um, the asset management fundamentals are understood more throughout the whole organisation. Well, how did you get into, when you started out at Campbelltown, what did you start out as? I went to Campbelltown from the city of West Torrens. Ah, okay. So, so it was my career path has been interesting somewhat because yeah. I got I got headhunted to go to <coughs> Campbelltown by yeah. the then uh, he's still by Andrew Maguna who's the yep. GM there um, and I was at there for so how did that happen how do you was like in private industry it's probably done a lot easier because you mm. just find some up and get them on board how how does that happen. I used to see local government. Just uh, was that an LGMA? Uh, they used to run information sessions of an evening. There were it's quite a long time ago yeah. now, seven eight years ago, but they used to run these evening sessions at Veal Gardens. Yeah, and a- Andrew sat next to me on a couple of occasions, and um, I must have mentioned to him that I was looking, um, and I, and I ended up getting getting the role there after about four and a half years um, David and Bim at the Barossa they were you know looking to transition out and I had Mm. some significant dealings with David Um, so they asked me to take the role whether I'd be interested in taking the role on up there yes that's interesting so you've never you've never really had to seek out a position and go through those hard yards of applying um, not with those two roles. Yeah. I think. I think. Well, I have. I have obviously applied for other roles, etc. Oh, yeah. It's probably my my bad jokes that make. <laughs> make What's me... your worst? What's your worst in interview joke? My worst uh, interview joke. Maybe you need to kind of preface that when they call up to book the interview. Like just just to let you know, there will be a joke. There will be some humour involved. <laughs> oh, look, the worst, the worst one for me is um, uh, I may I. Uh, it was a casual day in the office, and I was wearing my favourite old pair of jeans. And I'd been working on um, working on a project for probably a week at my PC, and I finally managed to um, achieve what I was wanting to achieve, and leapt up off my chair and pumped my fist in the air and said yeah and my pants split my jeans split from one pocket right the way across the other which left not much the imagination really I had to go and put my um, sports shorts on over the top of my jeans so I could end up working the rest yeah. of the day but <clears throat> that's definitely not the sort of thing that you want to tell <laughs> at an interview yeah. by the way How's this? How's this happened to me? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Should you were prepared? You released that shorts. If that happened to me, I, I, I don't know. I'd have no backup plan. So, was that the first camp place you worked at? Well, so, so how it all pans out? Yeah. Was let's, fir- uh, let's fir- go back to the start. Firstly, when I was at uh, university, yeah. I was um, an, a student working as a student at 
City of West Torrance Council yeah. doing data collection, um, riding a bike around, driving a car around, <laughs> lifting stormwater yeah. pit lids and doing all that sort of stuff. Data it's acquisition, really. Good pay. Uh, it was at the time. Yeah. It was better than McDonald's. I thought so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, and then, um, then I, I got a scholarship to go and study and finish my degree off over at Colorado State University uh, in Colorado, really? Fort Collins, Colorado. Yeah, which was an f- absolutely fabulous way to finish off my time at uni. <laughs> Less studying, more partying. Uh, I'd got. I think I only had a, num- a number of credits that I needed to finish off. Yeah. So I took on a few extra subjects and uh, did some really interesting subjects over there that had really exposed me to the culture. Was that something you wanted to do the whole time you were at uni or did the opportunities come up? Yeah. Because I know that you can do that exchange and it, and it seems to work fairly fairly well. Uh, yeah, well a friend of mine had come back from Canada, some time in Canada. Yeah. And I said, oh, you know, where had you been? and how did you do that? And she said that she uh, had got it as a scholarship through UniSA, <laughs> which is something that I hadn't heard of. And, they yeah. had, and from what I had seen, they hadn't advertised it internally. So uh, I took it on board and thought I'd go off and look into this a little bit <laughs> and said, yeah, I wouldn't mind going to um, uh, Colorado. The other, tr- the other place that I was considering going to was uh, Austin in Texas. Yeah. Ended up going to Colorado, which was a beautiful country and a part of the country and, um, and a fantastic lifestyle. Yeah. That whole uh, living on campus and the whole frat type thing. <laughs> it's really like... Yeah. Uh, Were you in a frat or just there? No, no, I lived on campus, but there were plenty of frats all around the yeah. campus. The campus was actually uh, one mile square. So... I think that's that re- represents the size of this, the the uh, city of Adelaide. Yeah. Wow. Um, to the parklands, I think so. Yeah. It gives you an indication of the size of the college. It was huge. Really good times, though. Yeah. Really Same good so. experiences. After that, um, I came back to to Australia, and uh, all the graduate positions had all been snapped up because yeah. I didn't get back. I did some travelling afterwards and didn't get back till. Uh, late February or something like that. All the graduate positions had been snapped up. So um, did a few bits and bobs. I think I worked at uh, Amy Stadium for yeah. a while, selling pies and things like that. <laughs> um, and then just decided, uh, fortunately I've got a, a, I've got dual nationality with British passport. So yeah. I went and bought a one-way ticket to the UK and off I went, off to the UK to see how I'd go. I needed to make sure that I kept enough in reserve that I could afford a ticket back. I got down to um, like my last yeah. 30, 30 pounds or something like that. So I got a job uh, over there, first of all, at Islington Council, and I worked there for three to four weeks, I think, yeah. um, before, scoring, before scoring a job at a, an organisation called uh, Parkman Land Aspects, and we were, we were doing... Uh, lin- very large linear projects like motorways, railway lines, etc., um, and doing the uh, the research for the compulsory acquisition component of it, identifying 
who owned which yeah. parcel of land and all that sort of thing, and then going through the uh, going through the compulsory acquisition element. So I did that for a while, um, and that was based in a uh, part of that was based in the north of England. I was living in Chester at the time. It was really good. I was getting about sixteen and a half thousand pounds a year. Yeah. And I could live a lifestyle of a rock star. It was <laughs> that was yeah. huge money, wow. huge money up there. Yeah. At that at that time, it doesn't sound like much now, to be honest. But um, I think a good wage down in London at the time was about twenty four thousand pounds. So, yeah. uh, with the the so called London loading, so I was doing pretty well um, up there in the north. And uh, the company that I worked for ended up securing a contract with BP International. So we got subcontracted to one of BP's subcontractors, which was called Caverna. So we got a, we, we scored a, a contract to, to provide GIS services um, to the pipeline that was getting built from um, Azerbaijan through Georgia and into Turkey. It was called the BTC pipeline, which went from Baku and Azerbaijan um, through Tbilisi in Georgia mm-hmm. and then um, Cheyenne in, in Turkey. So that was a really interesting time of my career. So yeah, I was, particularly what you're a couple years out and then you're working on something like that. Yeah, and I, I, I was the in-country GIS manager. And, um, there was it was a very very small contingent of yeah. expats, all of which were uh, all the people that were employed by Bechtel and John Brown Hydrocarbons were getting paid about ninety thousand pounds a year, tax-free because they yeah. reached that that non-taxable status, and getting forty dollars a day living allowance, forty dollars US. Wow. Um, and to cost, like the cost of living over there was next to nothing. It would cost you oh, $5 a day, something like that. You'd, you'd be yeah. not wanting anything. So these guys were on huge, huge dollars. And I got a, quite a sizable uplifting salary to go over there as well. But, you know, I had to live in a hotel room for 43 to 48 days straight, go back to the UK for two weeks and then go out again for 48 days. Um, it was it was a fascinating experience. I'd you know get to work at uh, seven in the morning. It'd be twelve hour days, five days a week, and then eight hours on a Saturday. Yeah. Um, we'd get picked up from the hotel in the morning, dropped off at the hotel of a night time. Uh, on the route to work, there was um, armed soldiers every <laughs> probably two hundred meters or yeah. something like that. Um, so I did that for probably eight months. Some, some really interesting experiences. One, it was actually just before Gulf War Two, and there's a port that uh, the that the US were using to bring in all their heavy artillery, uh, Batumi it was, Mm -hmm. um, and then get that through the country uh, into um, the battle zone. And uh, you know, we take delivery of. Uh, brand new four-wheel drives. All of the drivers that were employed yeah. by BHP were all ex-KGB. So you know, we're driving through, um, driving through the town, and you know, yeah. there's you're driving on bitumen roads in a, effectively a third-world country, and you're getting stopped by 
um, corrupt police officials who need to take bribes, etc. But we take delivery of you know two, three BMW X5s or Toyota Land Cruiser 100 series, and they'd be getting transported from the port to the capital in Tbilisi, mm. and they'd get held up by bandits, and the cars would get taken where who knows yeah. where so um, it was a really volatile time um, September 11 the September 11 yeah. attacks happened as well I was fortunately back in the UK when that happened but was due to fly out the next day so that was um, that was quite intense but you know at the time you're young and you're yeah, yeah. invincible That's, yeah invincible so but to get, getting towards the end of my time there, um, the day before I was due to fly out, there was a, 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 the head of um, Agro Bank over there was a, a British banker, yeah. um, and he was on his way to the airport, and he was in a convoy. This is also so yeah. we were all talking because the expat community was so small. Uh, in a convoy, police convoy, to the airport, got stopped by another uh, group of police that were bandits that had um, dressed as police officers. Uh, A gunfight ensued in the streets and he got kidnapped um, and was off the radar for 18 months, I think, and I was due to fly out the next day. I guess your parents didn't know about this No, they don't. (laughs) Or, or you, you know, or I told them when I got home and I was safe. So, um, so yeah, I kind of got a little bit tired of um, that whole fly in, fly out type approach. So I took a promotion with the organisation that I was with to move down to London and manage a team of ten people down there on yeah. um, the Crossrail project. Yep. So Crossrail's only just being built now. Um, so we, the company that I'd worked, that I was working for, we'd actually done the land referencing component of Crossrail, Crossrail about eight years before. Then yeah. it came back up on the radar politically when I was there. So we were doing Crossrail land referencing again, and I've no doubt that Crossrail land referencing had to happen again before they did started the construction fifteen years later. <laughs> you know, so it was. Um, that was uh, that was pretty good. Then I was walking down I'd, after having been there for about two and a half years. I was walking down um, the um, uh, the high street in Putney, and it was freezing cold. And I pretty much had a gutful. I walked past a, a flight centre and stopped and sort of walked backwards about to eight steps or something, and walked straight into there and booked a one-way flight home. Wow. But do you feel that you'd got the experience you wanted out of it work-wise and life-wise from the trip? It was all about life at that stage, Russ. I don't think it was about... um, It wasn't really work. Work wasn't my focus at that point. Yeah. It was all about having life experiences. I just happened to fall on my feet and do some really cool stuff. Yeah. Um because I want because I was I put my hand up and said yeah I'll, I'll have a crack at that so um, that sort of brought to an end uh, my employment over in the UK I came back to Australia and ended up getting um, 
an asset management role at the City of West Torrens Council with yeah. uh, people that I'd worked with before. And, and therein started my career in local government, which has been 10 years now. Yeah. If you were employing someone, would you want someone that had uh, seen the ropes, travelled the world? Oh, How important do you think it is? I think it really contributes to their growth as an individual, whether or not, and how they relate to people. Yeah. You know, I've engaged some consultants um, that were, you know, graduates from university, etc. And, and to be quite honest, they were they were very difficult to work with. Yeah. Um, um, so I'm not look. If so, I, I think if someone's been and they've done travelling, it just gives them really good life experiences, and they can relate to people better. Mm-hmm. Um, if you've led a quite an insular uh, existence, um, you're less likely to be able to relate to people of all age brackets yeah and different cultures and i cultures. guess it's this day you're dealing with everyone absolutely i i'm i don't have anybody that's working for me that's younger than younger than i am at the moment yeah. they're all um probably 15 years older which is great yeah. they, they're working in the industry because they want to work in it yeah they know what they want to do and they're professionals in that area so for me as a, a manager, that makes life a lot easier. Yeah. Um, oh, so um, when I was over there as yeah. well, um, Donald Rumsfeld and Colin Powell would stay yep. in the hotel. Um, we were in the uh, Sheraton Mateki over there and they'd book out the entire floor. Um, I, I, living in the hotel, you know, I'd see everyone come in yeah. there's this some dude that was driving around in like a brand new Corvette you know we everyone else is driving around in four wheel drives on yeah. the bitumen because you <laughs> had to drive around in, yeah. in a four wheel drive on the bitumen this this guy was pretty high up I think in um, the oil and gas industry and he, how he rolled was in a Corvette and he had his own personal bodyguard Probably armed bodyguard stiff suspension going through all the potholes <laughs> Yeah, it was hilarious. But yeah, so Donald Rumsfeld and Colin Powell would stay and, um, you know, no one was uh, able to park a vehicle at the entrance to the hotel. You know, and, and I'd go to a, a pool hall to yeah. play, shoot some pool and, um, you know, they'd be, uh, you'd check your weapons at the um, at the door before you go in. So yeah. people would rock, rock up in... Actually, there was one guy rocked up in front of us at this pool hall and he was wearing tracksuit pants. He pulls out a Colt 1911 and checks it in at the, <laughs> um, at the security guard. But that's what I just The place I stayed in in Cambodia, at, when you go in, all the hotel rooms have signs saying, like, no guns, no grenades. Like, leave your grenades at the counter. Who carries grenades? <laughs> <laughs> Don't leave just home with that one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but there's all sorts of experiences like that we you know, I've jumped around a bit from from the from the hotel but the as it got closer to Gulf War two mm-hmm. the amount of Americans that were in the hotel yeah. increased dramatically and the US Army Rangers took over the top floor of the hotel because they were in country tra- training all of the Georgian soldiers yeah. I'm sure you can re- I'm sure you remember the um, 
when the Russians invaded Georgia a yeah. few couple of years ago, a couple of years ago, probably six years ago now, they came in through. There was a breakaway province in Georgia called Abkhazia, which was yeah. um, uh, northwest, and that was allied with um, with Russia. So the Russians came through and flexed their muscles, etc., etc. So before that, and I reckon that part of that was because America had a presence in Georgia. Yeah. They were training their soldiers. They had an air force base there, and you know, I'd go down to the bar, have a few beers, etc., yeah. etc., and there'd be like these three blokes sitting next to each other absolute clones of each other short hair you know super muscly yeah. um they turned to me you know just a, just a youngster what what are you here i'm um, working on the btc pipeline yeah. what do you guys do oh yeah we're businessmen yeah right you <laughs> I mean, are yeah could you imagine how easy it would be for the cleaning lady to clean their room because i know you're so regimented in making their yeah. bed having everything so yeah. neat the cleaning lady probably gets out up there at 10 a.m. Everything's kind of immaculately <coughs> bed presented. Just living out of a tiny little suit. <laughs> uh, but they, they were all um, CIA dudes. They, yeah. were, they were building covert helicopter bases over there. Wow. You're really in the, the deep end. Was, so you've obviously been in local government for a while now. Mm. You obviously find it quite satisfying. Like you had such a complex, in-depth, start to your career yeah. and not to bag local government because I mean it as well but you've obviously found that you enjoy it and satisfying in it you, yeah like, look, how, how did it compare it's totally I mean yeah. you, you can't even compare it you know I was working a lot big days big hours doing really cool mm-hmm. international projects <clears throat> but it sort of burns you out I think you either you either are an expat or you're not. Yeah. It's similar to local government. You either adjust to local government or local government you choose you up and spit you out because you can't Yeah. You can't adjust to that whole bureaucratic political element to local government. Um, but I find that quite interesting and quite challenging, you know. It throws another whole level of whole layer of complexity in on the whole on, on your work. Yeah, well, you you deal with the elected members a lot. Yeah. In Barossa. Yeah. Yeah, being a smaller, yeah. smaller place. Yeah, they walk yeah. around all the time, um, and they they come right up to you and say, "What's going on with this? You know, this is what's happening. Mm. Can you help me out, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. Um, so there is a, a far greater exposure to the elected body up there than what there has been for me in metro um, councils. And I quite like that because they are so passionate about their region. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely love it. They're not in it for any... Um, generally, they're not in it for any um, political um, gain or, um, or um, um, you know, self, self-gain or anything like that. They're in there because they love their community and they want to try and make a difference. So is that, is, that, is that what you find quite enjoyable about the Barossa in particular rather than Campbelltown, that, that you're so much more involved? You've got so much more personal buy-in into the job, uh, the position? Somewhat, the somewhat. I think um, it's probably more 
that the role that I have now, I have to wear so many hats, yep. so many different hats. It's whereas at Campbelltown, I was just doing the one thing. Um, to give you an example, last Thursday we've got a radio tower that we look after, yeah. and this radio tower is at the the top of a hill in Anguston, and um, you know I drive a. I drive a vehicle that is suitable for me to get from where I live in the city to the Barossa in a comfortable... And I, sh- I should ask you about that. Is that because you had those early days in those Beamers and the Land Cruisers that <laughs> you've got probably the best council fleet car I've ever been in? It's no uh, four-cylinder Camry, that's for sure. No, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> Managing the fleet, though, yeah. I, I know. <laughs> okay. I definitely know that we get better yeah. return on investment if we buy better cars. Yeah. Um, well, I can't see you. Don't seem like the kind of guy that's going to fit in a Ford Focus. <laughs> yeah. Although my favourite car is a mini, our uh, minis, the yeah. old ones. But um, so I borrowed uh, this radio tower. We had a report from people in uh, Angerston that the radio signal had gone down for was ABC FM. Mm playing um, classical music etc <laughs> you're like uh, so okay uh, we've got four the switchboard's lighting up we've got four uh, callers the radio yeah, there were uh, two actually <laughs> two people phoned up I'm like what station's that it was 90.7 apparently and it was off so and what had happened before like it had gone off before there's these horses up in this paddock and the horse had gone up and, and knocked over the um Scratching the, its back against oh, the... Who knows thing. what it was doing, yeah. but knocked over the, um, the satellite dish. So I thought, oh, this might have happened again. And my offsider was mm. off. He normally deals with it. So he wasn't there. And somebody came up to me and said, can you go and check it out? So I was like, yeah, cool. No worries. I was flat out doing something else. But I had some time available in the afternoon. I said to the CWMS guy... Hey, Mike, can I borrow your car? Because I'm a little bit concerned that I'm not going to be able to get up to this site <laughs> in my car. He goes, yeah, no worries. So I go out there and I open the gate and it's, um, you know, out in the middle of nowhere. Close the gate, giant paddock, right? Yeah. Follow this road right up to the top. And right up the very top of this hill is our little radio station that we look after, which had, we put some fencing around this yeah. um satellite dish uh, and, a, and a big Telstra tower as well I come to the end of this road and there's these three horses like a little Shetland pony and these this um, white and tan coloured horse that looked really old and a brown horse and I'm, I'm not a massive fan of horses I can't stand them <laughs> I cannot stand them I think it's the way they look at you as well so I trust them I'm up there and not my car yeah. turn around drive back to the radio station and I'm given it a category one inspection inside with the windows up <laughs> and all of a sudden this little Shetland pony comes and stands right in front of the car right? and the two other horses come, <laughs> come up to the back of the car, it was a Captiva 7 yeah. and are banging their teeth on the back window <laughs> of the car. And I, I'm not a fan of horses. I am freaking out. I'm on the phone back to the office speaking to the guy whose car it is. saying, oh, they're attacking the car. They're attacking the car. And they've hemmed me. And to put this in perspective, if someone doesn't know you, what, 6'2", 
100 kilos, big hairy <laughs> bloke. Um, Shetland pony, I think it must yeah. have been trained to stand in front of cars because you can't run over a tiny little horse. Yeah. The other, so banging the teeth on the back, the brown one comes around the front of the, of the car and tries to bite the bonnet, right? It gets its teeth out and I can see it's dragging its teeth along the bonnet and all this white paint's flaking off because it's actually ground its teeth in the bonnet. Jeez. In the this, uh, this sounds like something out of <coughs> The Walking Dead, but it, horses. <laughs> very similar. And the, uh, the white and tan ones come right up to me. I'm sitting in the driver's seat. Yeah. Um, hyperventilating somewhat and that it's come along the the glass window of the driver's side squishing its nostril against the fogging glass up the fogging window. up the window <laughs> my worst nightmare so um anyway they ended up clearing out and going eating some grass and i sped off down the hill and got back to the uh, to the to the office and really sorry michael that this horse is like ground out about an eight inch long scratch in the bonnet of the car. What do you put on the insurance claim? Well, you know where it says, um, we were having a big laugh about this. There was this draw a, draw a diagram of what happened. <laughs> so I've drawn this little picture of me in a car surrounded by these giant, three giant horses. Yeah. Um, and we were having a laugh saying, uh, you know, to, did you claim responsibility for this accident? <laughs> Did the other driver claim responsibility? <laughs> Nay. <laughs> oh, it was funny. Funny, funny, funny. Filling in the paperwork was crazy. In terms of some of the where you've got to in your position, mm-hmm. uh, particularly in local government, how have you? What are some of the things you've taken to position yourself? So obviously, I know we did the LGMA professional leaders course together. Um, but what other things do you do to further your career or build the experience? Well, um, before before we did that course together, the professional yeah. leaders program, I did the emerging leaders program and. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the um, LGMA challenge and all that sort of thing. Now, since work, since working up at the Barossa, I really don't have anywhere near as much time on my hands yeah, as I so, used so. to. So um, I do still have aspirations to do further study, but I'm, I am really quite time poor at the moment. So doing an MBA is, is definitely on the list of things to be done. It's yep. going to happen when, um, when things lighten up yeah. if they do well what are some of the things you recommend for newer graduates you know you kind of zero to five years starting out <clears throat> if you if you uh, said here's three things if you want a career in local government here's three things i think you should go do or mm. learn or become a member of a professional institution yep and network mm-hmm. network as much as you can. Well, you, two of your jobs have come out of it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah it's it's um, it's very very important, especially in the field that you're in. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I'm finding now, you know, being in local government for ten years, um, I'm getting to the point now where all of the people that are that do this do similar things to what I do. We all know each other, yep. and we all have a good rapport with each other, yeah. and we can all 
build off each other's experiences. So rarely anymore am I stuck on anything because I can always pick up the phone and find out how a colleague at a different organisation has done that. Yeah. Or can you send me the, the Word document of that brief? Yeah. Or something so you can yeah, exactly. So become a member of a professional organisation. Mm-hmm. Network your ass off as much as you can and work as hard as you can. Because that's the main thing. Do Which pe- I think is certainly the thing with local government in that there is as much diversity and things that you can get into. Uh, like once, once you've got your foot in the door, you might just be in that one role. But there, there is... You can touch on anything you want. Exactly. Uh, and the more, the more you... Cha- it's up to you as an individual, I think. The more yeah. you challenge yourself... Uh, the more you take on things that are outside of your comfort zone, the more you're going to grow as an individual. Um, and and I don't think that I've grown in in a professional context. I haven't grown anywhere near as much in local government as I have in the last uh, three and a half years that I've been at the Barossa Council. Mm-hmm. The amount of exposure that I've had to... Um, the governance side of things to the engineering side of things, the finance side of things, the um, uh, key community stakeholders, um, Section 41s, Section 42s, risk, the whole gamut of things. Um, It's really good. Well, that's that's, that's what I found at the Hills, the... Six years I had at the hills, I felt like I got 30 years worth of experience. Everything you touch, just every every single bit of what makes the council run, your finger's in it. Yep. And you get exposed to it. Yep. Yeah. I think it's... Uh, uh, look, the the more experiences you have, the more confidence you, you get. Um, I'd be very happy to take on a role that is not asset management related Mm. um, because of having that exposure to a whole load of different elements in local government um, I I know that I'll have the confidence and the knowledge to be able to do whatever job in local government quite well so what does what is the the, what does the future have in store for Brendan that's the million dollar question I think (laughs) Russell yeah um what does the future have in store? Look, I'm still getting challenged. Yeah. Be, continuing to be challenged is one of the keys for me to remain interested. And I'm still getting challenged at the Barossa um, because of the variety, because yeah. of the um, because of the horse attacks. <laughs> uh, you know, because of that exposure to a whole yeah. range of different things it, it really does keep me interested um, the div, the different hats that I wear you know the this week this week being uh, going to um, sell vehicles at auction <laughs> yeah okay you know, so you actually have to do that yeah you know that was okay. great yeah um, at the same time, you know, there's a massive bushfire that's so, right who, on the verge. So when you go to sell the vehicles at the auction, who are the, who are the market? Are they mainly kind of slimy used car salesmen? Yeah, there's... Yeah, <laughs> yeah, there's. I'm picturing kind of suits from the 80s, 
bit of slick back gel trying to hustle you for the car? No, it was it was really professionally run, yeah. um, professionally run show, and I was really quite impressed with it. But there are yeah, it's a whole range of dealers and private buyers, and um, you, I get really good return on investment for vehicles yeah. that I sell um, at auction compared to trade-ins. But at the time when I was there doing that, yeah. there's a massive bushfire that's uh, burning from Malala right the way across and threatening the the um, the Barossa Valley and the Barossa region as mm-hmm. a whole. So I think in the time that I've been there, there's been uh, three major bushfires, uh, one of which occurred whilst I was living up there. Yeah. Um, and we... That was coming from Eden Valley over the over the um, Barossa Ranges into Anguston, and we could see the glow on the horizon of the bushfire. So uh, the you, you, I mean, even though we're only an hour hour from the city, you, you definitely get yeah. exposed to a, a whole range of different things, things that you'd never experience if you didn't. I'd say. All of my days are very highly structured and well planned. Yeah. Um, I know exactly what I'm going to be doing that day and the rest of the week. Uh, I'm very uh, methodical with planning that sort of stuff out. Right. However, um, I can normally start about half past seven in the morning, so it gives me approximately about an hour and a half before things start to go haywire. Yeah. And you are dealing with things as they come in and, and triaging um, uh, requests and things, people coming and asking for information, etc. So no matter how well in advance you <laughs> plan things, it's, yeah. it's more often than not uh, things come up that throw you off. Which you wouldn't get in a consultancy? No, and, and in some ways you wouldn't get in a metro council either. No, no, agree. Agree. So thanks, folks. That's where I had to wrap up the podcast for this as we both had a meeting. Tune in for the next one. And as always, welcome your suggestions for who else to get on the show. Thank you.